0: How's everybody tonight? Perfect. So we're going to continue our journey through the book of Isaiah. So I encourage you to open up Isaiah chapter 4. We won't get outside Isaiah 4 tonight. Uh, Only five verses, so it should be easy for me uh, to get through all that. One of the things we want to remember as we come through Isaiah, okay. one of the things that Isaiah does, especially in the first six chapters, is he lays out the concepts, okay. the, the fact that the nation is in disobedience to God, but balanced alongside of his prophecies concerning judgment, concerning uh, the fact that Israel, Judah, their hope is in man. Uh, really, to me, it's a great parallel with our nation, okay? Their hope is in man, their hope is in their kings or what uh, alliances they can get, right? Can we get a, a treaty with uh, Egypt? Can we get an alliance with Assyria? If we can get all these alliances worked out, then we're going to be okay. And all the while, God is saying to them, the only reason you have a kingdom is because of me, but you're, you're leaving me out. God's left out of the equation, And man does his best with diplomacy and power of arms to accomplish the things he's trying to accomplish. To do the things that he's trying to do. And so God brings this judgment. The judgment is your your trust in man is going to fail. Right? We know ourselves, don't we? We, we? Maybe we don't know everybody else, but can we all agree that we individually are capable of failing? So if I individually am capable of failing and you're individually capable of failing, then our alliance is capable of failing, right? What? Who's not going to fail? God's not going to fail. Putting our hope and trust in Him, following Him, being directed by Him. So God is saying, look, all these things, all these trusts, all this, this hope that you put in man and your own ability to, maybe as we would say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just work harder and make it all come together. If, you, if that's your plan to success, and that plan of success does not include your submission to a holy God, you're going to fail. It's not going to work. But I don't even have to work hard for examples. Right? Sure, maybe, you, maybe you'll have a lot of money. But you've been married 16 times. How come? Well, because... Somebody's left out of the equation, right? If your goal for success is to have the biggest checkbook, then maybe you can win. And you'll have all the toys in your garage. You can have the most toys, and you can be proud of your bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins. But the truth is, when you die with the most toys, you don't get anything, right? Somebody else gets all the toys. Probably your kid's going to have a great yard sale and get half of what it's worth, if that makes you feel good. So when you look at all of those things and all of those focus, that was part of where <clears throat> Judah was. And so Isaiah is saying, "Man, this is all going to crumble." But at the same time, he's got a message of hope. You can become better than that. In fact, one day he says, "You're going to be so good that the that the Mount Zion is going to fill all the earth." He says that you're going to. Everybody's going to come to you to learn about God everybody's going to want to be here where we are. Now, so you look at those two things, and we talked about this earlier, how does that Israel become this one? How does the one that's failing and struggling become the one that's perfect? So he gives you a little glimpse of Israel now, struggling, not trusting in God, Israel one day, the, the place where God dwells, and everybody wants to come and be a part of it. Then he goes back, you're trusting in man and these things are going to fail. In chapter 3 of Isaiah, he says, I'm going to give you children to lead you. If that's not a perfect example of where we are today, I don't know what is. Because I, I don't even care who you like or don't like, who is or isn't your president. They are all acting like a bunch of children. And it just depends on which news channel you turn on, which, which ones are acting like, but they all do it. They all carry on like, like little kids. And to me, that's a judgment that God says, look, when you're, when you're not with me, this is what happens. You don't have strength of leadership. You don't have... That doesn't mean that God can't work in that, right? Is God able? Can God strike a straight blow with a crooked stick? Sure he can. Sure he can. So what's he want us to do? Get our eyes focused on him and trust in him. So on the one hand, he says, you're going to have horrible leadership. You're gonna struggle. You're gonna have struggle getting behind. Everybody getting behind. When you have a good leader, just so everyone knows, when you have a good leader, you have unity. When you have a bad leader, you have division. So when we have division, you know, I'm not trying to cast dispersions. We should be praying for our president because he's got quite the job to do, a lot of division. But by the way, that division was there before he came. And that, what's that division? What that division is all about is we need a leader. What did Israel need? Same thing, right? They were so divided, they had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, didn't they? They split into two. They didn't have the leadership to bring it together. Who's the leader that's going to bring them together? Messiah. Messiah has the ability to unite. Who's the Messiah? Jesus Christ, right? Right? In Christ, we can be united. Now, Jesus said, we just looked at it on Sunday, don't think that I I came to bring peace, but the sword, right? Because uh, you're going to be divided in your own family. Why are we divided in our own family? Because there's only one way to find unity. What is it? Through Jesus. And everybody gets to choose. And as long as everybody gets to choose, some are going to choose Jesus and some aren't. So what do you have? Division. But the Bible says one day Jesus Christ is going to put His feet on the earth, and how many knees will bow? Every knee, knee. right? How many tongues will confess? Every Every tongue. That's strength of leadership. That's Messiah. That's the King that we're looking for. And so, in chapter four of Isaiah, He's going to do the same thing. He's going to. We just saw the uh, uh, chapter one. uh, Isaiah talks about uh, judgment coming. Chapter 2, he gives him a picture of new Israel. Chapter 3, weak leadership. Chapter 4, the king comes. So he gives you the, the judgment and the hope. The judgment and the hope. You guys tracking with me? This Israel becoming that Israel. How's that going to happen? This time, he's going to tell us. How's that going to happen? Messiah is going to make it happen. Chapter 6, we're going to see how that all comes together when Isaiah sees the Lord. So... We're going to look at Israel restored. Look at verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. So, obviously there's going to be a time of, of exile, right? Something has happened because they're survivors. So, there are those who are going to make it, those who aren't. Those who are going to submit, those who won't submit. So he begins with the phrase, in that day. Now here's what I want you to understand about, in that day. There's a lot of days. There's a day for judgment. There's a day for redemption. You guys tracking with me? We, we just read in Ecclesiastes, uh, whatever, a couple of months ago, the idea that there's a time to dance, a time to sow, a time to weep, a time to laugh. Everybody. So there's a day. And the Bible says, that's how the Bible says it. There will be a day. There will be a day. When this will happen. There will be a day when that will happen. God's going to bring these things about. In Isaiah 2.12 he says this. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty. So there will be a day when God is going to judge pride. Right? The Bible says that the Lord opposes the proud and does what? Gives grace to the humble. Right? So what should we do? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will what? He will lift you up. So it's a step of humility. So God is going to move against the proud, against all that is lifted up, and all that is lifted up will be brought low. Remember we talked a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar who said, look at the kingdom I have built. Yeah? And God said to Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't build it. And Nebuchadnezzar said, oh yeah, I did this. And God said, no, I'll prove it to you. Right? You're going to be crazy for seven years. And after the seven years of crazy, you're still going to be king. And you'll know, all you did for seven years was be crazy. And God says, I'm the one who kept your kingdom. And eventually, what's that bring? That, that period of humility for Nebuchadnezzar does what? Causes him to bow the knee in submission to the God of gods and Lord of lords. And Nebuchadnezzar's reign changes forevermore. I mean, really, we're going to see him when we get to heaven. He wrote chapter 4 of Daniel. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Nebuchadnezzar. The proud king who submitted himself, who humbled himself and was exalted by God. But how did God get him to the place of humility? He brought him down. God brought him low. God, There are times where God will strike us in our pride and bring us to a place of humility, right? And in a place of humility, where do we lift our eyes? Up, right? I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. This is where God wants to keep His people. Isaiah 2.17, He says, The haughtiness of man will be humbled, the lofty pride of men will be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So there's a day God's going to be exalted. There's a day that our pride is going to be brought low. Isaiah 3.7, He says, In that day He will speak out, I'm not a healer in my house, there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. In Isaiah chapter 3, God's saying, I'm not in charge. You guys are making a mess. This is all you. I'm not the healer. I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to let your choices take you to the place of humility. Because in the place of humility, what will the people do? Lift their eyes up. Lift their eyes up. Our nation can forget God all the time. And then there's 9-11. 9-11. And the Sunday after nine eleven, church was full. How come? Because everybody all of a sudden is a little bit freaked out about what's going on, right? The the seeds that we sowed over the last fifty years led to nine eleven, guys. That, just so you know, that's not just the fault of some crazy man. The Bible says, "You sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind." Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also. Well, what I'm planting, if I'm reaping. I'm going to sow, right? That was our day to sow. But what happened, or that was our day to reap. And what happened, eyes were lifted to heaven, right? Eyes were looking to the Lord, looking for answers. In Isaiah 3.18, he says, In that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets and the headbands and the crescents. He's talking about (coughs) judging the pride of the women in chapter 3. There will be a day. There will be a day when those who are wealthy are going to be poor. Yeah? Yeah? God says, there's a day. There's a day for all these things. Isaiah one says, there will be a day when seven women will take a hold of one man. What does that mean? The reason seven women take a hold of one man is because there's not enough men. You want to know a nation where that's true? Russia. Russia in World War II lost so many men in the, in the battle that there is not, there still today is not enough men per woman in Russia. So there, for a, a woman born in Russia has no guarantee that she will ever get married. And the men in Russia are really quick to, to say, you burnt the toast, I'm going to go over to something better. A lot of divorce, a lot of wrecked families in Russia. Why? Because the men were wiped out in battle. What was God saying? And in verse 1 last week, Jason looked at it for you guys. What is he saying? There's going to be a day of war and it's going to wipe out the men. And the women aren't going to have the the security, especially in that day and age. They're not going to have the security of having a, a partner. They're going to they're going to have seven women fighting over one guy. The the imbalance within the family. They'll say, "Hey, we don't. You don't got to you don't got to pay nothing. Just be there for us." So the point is, in verse two, there's a day for judgment and restoration. There's a day. When there's, these things are going to happen. But there is also a day for cleansing and restoration. There's a day for judgment. There's a day for redemption. There's a day when it all falls apart. Anybody have days like that? And there's a day when God puts it all back together. One is the guarantee of the other. If there's a day of judgment, there is a day of restoration. That Israel is going to become the Israel he spoke about in chapter 2. The Israel that fails all the time is going to become the Israel that can say they are governed by God. Just like one day Jacob's a liar, the next day Jacob is the prince of God. You guys tracking with me? The fact that how, how does Jacob, how does the liar become the prince of God? How does that happen? Because God works in his life. There's a day of judgment, brings Jacob low, Jacob lifts his eyes to the Lord. God's there to restore. He becomes the man he's supposed to be. Just like the nation becomes the nation they're supposed to be, you and I can become who we're supposed to be. But the Bible says this, guys. The Bible says that the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, is the chief of the corner. And we have two choices. The stone of Jesus Christ falls on me. Bad. I get ground into powder. That that, that doesn't seem good. Second choice. I fall on him. And I'm still broken. But I'm broken on him. Being broken on him is a promise of restoration. Being judged by him is not. There's no guarantee. The the guarantee is, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And God's, God's judgment may come. But at the same time, everywhere that the Bible talks about judgment, it talks about restoration. What's the key to restoration? We're going to see it in just a moment. Then in verse 2, he also says, not only in that day, he talks about the branch. What's the branch? What is he talking about? The branch is a a text that refers to Messiah. Remember in chapter 3, children will lead you, women will lead you, you won't have the kind of leadership you want. But he says, in that day, a branch will come. In that day, the branch will come. He's talking about leadership coming. Here's here's where I get that. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he, okay, the branch is a person, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The right leader. Right When Jesus Christ is my king, I am under the right leader. If the entire world has Jesus Christ as our king, then there is peace on earth. Is Jesus your king? He says the branch is going to come, the branch is Messiah. Jeremiah 33, 15 says, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch, To spring up for David. And he, the branch is a person. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, most of those places, the word for branch is a word not said. Not said uh, is the, the foundational word for a town in Israel. Not said. It was Nazareth. You guys know of anybody who came from there? So the idea, the branch, the coming of the branch. Zechariah 3.8, Here now, O Joshua, the high priest, <clears throat> you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch. The branch. Now that concept of the branch being the servant is going to be important because in Isaiah 53, he's going to draw us a picture of what the servant looks like, right? Isaiah 53. Zechariah 6 12. He says, And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. The branch, the king, the righteous king. He's going to build the temple of the Lord. Interesting. Is that a building? If it is, are you sure? What's the New Testament say about the temple? Where's the temple? Oh, you're the temple? What about the church? Is the church a temple? Corporately, the church is the temple built together by living stones. Isn't that what Peter said? Who's the chief of the corner? Who's the one who builds that temple? Jesus is. The branch, the branch. So he says the branch is going to come. Now listen in verse 2, what he said. The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. In other words, what's getting the glory when Jesus comes? You and I, is it about us? Are we the center of the universe? In some ways you are because you're the center of the universe because you are the driving force behind the love of God to save, right? You are the apple of his eye. You are his creation. He didn't make you for the fires of hell. He made you to rule and reign alongside him. So in that way you are. But who's the chief of the story? Who's doing the work of redemption? It's not me. Am I doing anything? Did I die on the cross for you? Isn't that what Paul said? Was I crucified for you? No, that's Jesus. Right? We put our hope, our trust in the branch. The real leader. Not being led by children, but by the Messiah. The one who is able. Remember the question from the beginning. How do you we get from that Israel? How do I, be, how do I get from the liar? ...to the Prince of God? How do I get from broken Israel... ...to true Israel? How does my life change from... ...the mess... ...to the redemption? The answers are all the same. The branch. The Messiah. The Mashiach Nagi, the Messiah, the King. He goes on to say, not only will there be a branch... ...but the fruit of the land... ...will be the glory of the remnant. Right? Look what he says in verse 2. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor... ...of the survivors... So the remnant, those who survive, those who submit, those who bow the knee, right? Those who come to the the kingdom of God. Chapter 2 of Israel, the kingdom, the the beautiful promise of God. Those who come to that place, that remnant, the beauty of the kingdom is going to be their pride. In other words, their glory is in the beauty of God. In his redemption and what he's accomplished. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, one day he said... You know what? Look at the kingdom God built. Look at the beautiful thing God's given me. Do you think that when you look at your kids? At least when they're not screaming and carrying on. When you're having, you know, when everything's right, do you think, man, look what God's given me. When you look out over your stuff, the kingdom you've amassed, do you think, look how good God's been to me. Because these are the attitudes that God's looking for from his people. The attitude that acknowledges everything I have comes from him. Everything I have, it's not some magical thing I did, it's God's blessing and being thankful for what God has done and what God has accomplished. Now look at verse 3, Isaiah 4 3. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Now that sounds familiar, don't it? What's it mean, everyone who's been recorded for life? There's a book somewhere. What's it talk about? Book of life. Interesting, interesting, right? This, this early reference in Isaiah to the concept of the book of life. So everyone who's in Zion is going to be holy. A nation that has been more unlike God than anything else is one day going to become holy. How does that happen? How does the unholy become holy? What do we learn about it? Isaiah kind of lays a foundation for us in chapter 6 when God touches Isaiah's lips and purges his sin. You have the picture throughout the Old Testament, right, of, of me becoming unholy or unclean because everything around me is unclean. I'm unclean, the things I touch... I'm unclean, I'm And so the holy man had to be careful because if they bumped up against me, they would become unclean, right? Until Jesus. And when Jesus came and he bumped up against you, what happened? Did Jesus become unclean? What happened to you? You became clean. The leper comes before Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches him, which should have made Jesus unclean. But what did it do? made the leper clean see that isaiah is going to lay out for us the concept that we can't make ourselves clean but jesus can jesus is able to make us holy what makes them holy all the people that are in zion in the day of the kingdom what makes us holy is the king's there he made me holy I didn't become holy because I had a longer list of do's and don'ts than you do. I became holy because I bowed the knee before Jesus, my King, and He touched me. He made me whole. He makes me complete. He gives me the ability to overcome all that. It's not me. It's not my willpower. Throw away all your self-help books. Instead of self-help, go to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me. Lord, you help me. You make me clean. That's the only way I've ever been clean a day in my life. You make me clean. As far as me following Christ, as long as that's happening, the old Jackie's dead and gone, and nobody's mourning him. Nobody. But it's about him. He makes me holy. He makes us holy. So what's he saying? Everybody there, everybody who remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded uh, uh, for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. So who did it? The Lord did it. He washed away their filth. What do we say? Washed away my sins, right? He made me clean. But the idea here, guys, is that judgment is a part of the process. Judgment. The Bible says, judgment shall begin where? In the house of God. Right? Because for me to come... To salvation in the Lord, my sins have to be judged. My, sin, I gotta cast them somewhere. You get two choices: you carry them, or you give them to somebody else. If you carry them, the judgment lands on your head. If Christ carries them, the judgment lands on His. But it all gets judged. It all gets dealt with. That's how a holy God remains holy. He doesn't look over it. He doesn't pass over it. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He judges it. And through that judgment comes holiness. He says in Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will become clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Right? Who's doing it? God's doing it, right? God's doing the work. And that work is through this step of judgment. When Ezekiel's writing, he said, you're going to go to exile. But through your exile, I'm going to give you a new heart. Through these things that you suffer, I'm going to give you a new heart. We'll see in Daniel 9 what's, what, what is required for that to occur. What, what is our response to that? But Ezekiel 39, he says again, verse 23, The nations will know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, for their sin, because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. Other places, God says, my name is jealous for I am a jealous God. What's that mean? What's he saying? God don't want to share you with nobody any more than your wife wants to share you with anybody. Or your husband wants to share you. We understand exclusivity of a relationship, don't we? In the exclusivity of a relationship, it means I am saying I'm faithful to you. God is saying I'll be faithful to you. What does he want from us? Faithful to him. Just like we want a faithful uh, husband or wife. Just like we want faithful friends, right? Nobody goes, you know, I'm going to go out and find me a bunch of unfaithful friends. I'm going to go look for them. I heard there's a special on them. They're on Buell Buy, Sell, Trade. I can go on there and and, and just hook up with a bunch of unfaithful friends, right? Everybody's lining up for that, right? No, so if we understand the value of faithfulness, why do we think God doesn't want it from us? Yeah, he wants your faithfulness. That means I trust him, not the military. That means I trust him, not the almighty dollar. That means I trust him, not the doctors. It means I trust him. Can he use all of those other things? Yeah. Is there any good thing that he will withhold from me? No. But I'm going to trust him. He has my faith. He has my trust. That's where Israel faltered. That's where we falter. God wants us to put our focus on him, right? Restoring. He's jealous for his name. And they shall forget their shame and the treachery that they practice against me. When will they forget it? When they dwell securely in their land and there's none to make them afraid. When I'm your king. When will they dwell securely in the land? When Jesus is king. When will you be secure? Finally, when will, when will the struggle stop? When Jesus is your king. Get off the throne, bow the knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, let him reign, let him reign, and then say, like Job said, though he slay me, I will praise him, because who's the king he's the king. look my my time in the marine Corps and and the, the times that i I spent with uh, my brothers. There are times when uh, you got to do the thing that, that uh, you know, nobody wants to do. There are times when you, the, the, the guy in charge has to say, you go. And by you going, maybe you don't come back. But he's the guy in charge. That's how it works. If I rebel in that moment and say, nope, forget it, I'm out, then the military ceases to function as it should. The whole point of, of uh, boot camp, the whole point of all that training was to, for me to respond to the orders. I didn't, 90% of the time, I didn't like the guys who were in charge of me. But 100% of the time, I'd have done what they said. They said, hey, you're on patrol, you got to go do this, you got to go do that, whatever it is. I'm going to do it. Because in that situation, they're in charge. Now in every situation, even there, unfortunately I wasn't a believer back in those days, God can be my king. And if God says, I need you to go over that hill, and when you go over that hill, you're going to die on it. Then my job is to bow my knee before my king and say, your will be done. Isn't that the point? Otherwise, he's not my king. I am. And a lot of times, God's going to bring us to things, challenges, difficulties. They're going to ask us that question. And that's why I love Job's response. What was Job's response to his whole life falling apart? Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Though my children die, yet I will praise him. Why? Because he's the king. He's the king. Go back to the first part. Does he do... Any bad thing. The Bible says, no good thing will I withhold from you. Now sometimes we look at our life and say, how can that be good? Well, Because you're not seeing it through God's eyes. You see it through your own. Isaiah 55 says, God sees things you don't. Can we believe that? I learned that in the Marine Corps, man. Sometimes there are people who see things I don't see. And I'm down there in, in the in the front of it and I'm thinking that's a dumb idea but here we go but somebody back there sees something I don't and if they're not in charge then I'm going to die because I'm stupid I prefer to die because somebody else is I prefer to die because I served the, my, I served my king well I had a kid who played football for me that died following orders over in the desert in the Marine Corps it's not a wasted life it's a life well lived doing what he was meant to do, being who he was meant to be and he was faithful that's something God wants, isn't it? for us to be always faithful Following what the Lord lays out for us. So listen, God's saying, man, I'm going to restore you and I can do all these things. I just want you to be faithful to me. So how does that occur? Best chapter in the entire book of Daniel is Daniel chapter 9. In fact, I'd almost argue it's the best chapter in the whole Bible, but I'll stop just short of that. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 4, from 4 to 19. We'll see... The key to restoration. We'll see the key to redemption. We'll see the key to the king of kings being our king. The king of kings being the king for our nation. And the key for the the king being the king for the nation of Israel. Daniel chapter 9 verse 4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession. Saying, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps covenant or keeps promises... With steadfast love, meaning he's faithful to me. And those who love him and keep his commandments, those who are faithful to him. So what does Daniel say? We have what? Sinned and done wrong. What is that called? Repentance. We have sinned and done wrong. We have acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning away from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. What was the key that the prophets brought? What did the prophets say? They are speaking what? The word of God. Thus says the word. Here's what the word says. So they're saying, we're we're not listening to your word. They spoke to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to the people of the land. To you, O Lord, God, belongs righteousness. What does he say? You're right. You're right, God. But we are filled with shame. Hey, that looks like a Richardson kid. Hi, Danielle, You look like you're chasing him. He can run around in here, I don't mind. <laughs> See you later, Ethan. So he says, look, to you belongs righteousness, to us shame. To you belongs righteousness, to us shame. Now, I always say that, that my, in my opinion, Daniel, at the age of 16, is taken by Nebuchadnezzar. His life is radically transformed in the exile of God. He's made a eunuch which means everything in his life changes. He's never going to be a family. He's never going to be married. Uh, Read the book of Daniel. You'll see it. Um, He's going to be used mightily of God, but he's going to also go through a time of suffering and struggle, and God's going to use it all. But Daniel says, God, you're right. You're right. Part of repentance is is saying, Lord, I'm sin, I'm broken, I messed up. And you're right. You're right. The things that are happening in my life, God, you're right. Whatever you're doing, you're right. Now maybe I don't understand it. Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't see the why's. I don't know how come. Doesn't make any difference. If He's my King, He's right. God, you're right. So, so I want. Daniel's going to say. I, I want to have the eyes you want me to have. Look what he says. He says. Uh, uh, to this day to the men of judah to the inhabitants of jerusalem and all of israel those who are near those who are fall, far away and all the lands which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you so god you're right we're in exile and you were right to us O oh lord belongs open shame to our kings our princes our fathers why because we have sinned against you to the lord our god belongs mercy and forgiveness For we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws uh, that He set before us by His servants and the prophets. Look, make it simple. Don't get yourself all freaked out about all the laws and this and that that they broke. He was king, and they didn't do what He said. So He said, God, You are right. You let us go. We wouldn't follow You. We wouldn't listen to You. We wouldn't go where You directed you're right, we're wrong. All of Israel has transgressed your law, turned aside, refusing to obey your, your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned. Daniel saying, I'm wrong. Nowhere in here is Daniel saying, I'm not a part of this. Everywhere in this prayer, Daniel's saying, I screwed up too. I own what my nation has done. I own what my kings have done. I own it. And so he calls on the name of the Lord. He says, he says you've only done what your word said. See, I have said before you blessing and cursing, life and death. God says, choose what? Life. What did they choose? Death. And now that's where they are. And they're saying, God, you are right. You told us that's where this road goes. You told us this is where this road goes. They have an attitude of repentance. He says, he has confirmed his words, verse 12, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. It is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, but we have not entreated the Lord our God, turning from our iniquity and gaining insight by your truth. He said, all this time we've been in exile and we've been here and we've been suffering, but we never came to you and said, Lord, I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from me being king and I want you to be king. That's what Daniel's doing here. And then gain insight by your truth. Show me what you want me to do. In Isaiah 6, and when Isaiah's world is all falling apart and everything looks like destruction, he's going to say, God's going to say to him, well, there's a mess out there. Nobody's ever going to listen to you. Nobody's ever going to hear you. Nobody's ever going to change. Who can we send? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Is there another way we're supposed to respond to the king? Who's going to go for me? Not me. How'd that work out for Moses? Moses, I want you to go be my my voice. Go talk to the Pharaoh. I want you to just, no, Lord, I I can't, I don't talk right. Moses, I want you to go be my voice. No, no, Lord, I can't talk right. You remember what happens next? God talks in his uh, loud voice. Yeah? Who made men's mouth? Oh, that's right. You did. Does God know how your mouth works, Moses? Yeah. And then God says, I'll send Aaron, but who did all the talking? You've read Exodus, haven't you? Who did all the talking? Moses. Just like God said, you're going to do all the talking. Because who's the king? God's the king. What's our rightful response to God? Yeah, you, it's yours, Lord. Show me your ways. It says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. God is right. That's hard to say sometimes. i got some episodes of my life that that to to this date I still don't understand. Let me tell you, God was still on the throne that day. God was still on the throne when, when I was sexually abused as a kid. God was still on the throne. He was still king. God's still right. The thing that God was accomplishing was still worth accomplishing. And it was hard. Yeah, the Bible says that. Life's hard and God's good. So I don't know anybody else who can take the garbage of your life and say to you, I can, I can give you beauty for ashes. Do you know somebody else who can do that? The only one I know who can do that is God. God. He deserves to be king. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it. He knows what he's accomplishing in it. I was telling Lori the other day, she's gonna go, they're going to go to Nigeria here in a month, a little over a month, and they're going to go to four or five different refugee camps where there are people dying every week starving, sickness, all that stuff. You know what a refugee camp's like, or you can imagine. They're going to go there and take them the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ. They're going to share with kids. And I said, one day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to meet people you never knew you knew, who are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ because you were willing to go, because you were willing to pay what it costs. You are willing to say, yeah, okay, so I want to go be a part of this. And maybe there you're not going to see any of it, or you'll see it for a few moments, or you'll see people come up and and walk forward and receive the Lord as their Savior, and you're going to fly back to the United States. Those kids are still going to be in a refugee camp. They're still going to be hungry in two days after they leave. They're still going to have the same struggles they got. And God's going to be their king. And everything he does is right. And just because it don't make sense to you, uh, last I checked, you know, I don't know, I don't know everybody in here, but we're not the brightest in the planet. Do you know that? You know, the smartest men on the world got together, created a bomb, nuclear bomb. Do you know the day they tested it? They pushed the button to blow it up. None of them knew. If the reaction would stop. Right? They knew if they split the atom, there's going to be a nuclear reaction, right? Big bang. But nobody knew whether or not it would quit. So when they pushed that button, it could have melted the whole world. And as far as they knew, they had no reason to believe it wouldn't. And they pushed the button anyway. That's the smartest people in the world. Yeah, God knows what he's doing, man. We got to trust him. And so the way to that restoration that he's talking about in, in Isaiah four, the way that we get to it is through repentance. Lord, you're right. I trust you. Yeah, sometimes the stuff we got to go through is a drag. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there's, there's not a lot of hope offered, but we still make the decision. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Where else are you going to go? Who else holds the answers? It's the only place I ever found any. In and through all of this, human salvation is not the result of me. We're saved because we respond to what God has done. When we get to Isaiah 53, we'll see how it is that Jesus is able to make the unclean clean. Malachi 3.16 says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God says, I was watching when you decided to trust me. And I wrote your name down in the book. Pretty amazing. Amazing. To wash away our sin. He's going to wash away our blood guilt. He's going to make all things right. Who's going to do it? Messiah is. Zechariah 3.8.9 Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you. For they are men who are assigned. Behold, I bring my servant the branch. right, we remember that part. Look at verse 9. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of the land. And how long? In a single day. One day. Jesus Christ is going to do it. In Zechariah 13, 1, it says, On that day there will be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse from sin and uncleanness. God is going to wash it all away. Who does it? The branch the branch, he's going to do it. How's he going to accomplish it? Through the wind of judgment. Look what he said in verses four, uh, three, and four in Isaiah. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstain of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, the word there, spirit, is just wind. By the wind of judgment, by the wind of burning. God's going to do it. He's going to bring that judgment. He's going to bring that fire. And when He does, we get a choice. What's it going to be? Bow the knee or shake the fist. One or the other. One is the path that leads to life. The other is the path that leads to destruction. Look at verse 5. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion, over her assemblies, a cloud by day, and smoke by the shining of a flaming fire by night. Now that should sound familiar. Cloud by day, fire by night. Where do we remember that from? The Exodus, right? The presence of God was with his people, right? The presence of God was with his people. So what is he illustrating? He's saying, "Hey, I haven't abandoned my covenant. I haven't broke my promise to you. You broke your promise to me, but I haven't broken my promise to you. I'm still here. I'm still working. He also wants them to know, I want to be with you. Wasn't God in the cloud? Wasn't God in the fire? Man, I want to be with you. This is what he's promising. And he's saying, I am going to care for you. I'm going to protect you. I want to guide you. That was the whole point of the cloud, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. But in Exodus, it was a pillar. Here, it's a canopy. It's not a pillar just covering over the, the tent of meeting. It's a canopy covering over everyone. The cloud is over them all. The cloud is covering them all. Psalm 91 has this amazing thing to say. It's the last thing I'll share with you. In Psalm 91, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And that's exactly what Isaiah is talking about being under the shadow of the Almighty. God's covering over his people. God's covering over his people. For for over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day and from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter in the storm and the rain. None of these things are going to be able to touch you. No rain, no storm, no fire. Why? Because God's got you. God's covering is over you. That's what it looks like when God's king. When he's king, I don't have to worry about nothing. He's in charge. And one day, the worst thing that can happen to me, guys, the absolute worst thing, at least from our standard, the worst thing that can happen to me is I get ushered into the throne room of the king. Well, how's that bad again? That's the worst thing that can happen. that's what happens when he's king the very worst that we fear day in and day out becomes a gateway to the presence of God that don't sound all that bad and it certainly doesn't sound like anything I have to be afraid of I want God to be king king of my life king of my nation king of whatever we're doing it's all about him for him, by him, through him, to him. It's a his show. And where he sends me, I'll go. And let his name be praised. That's how that Israel becomes that one. You bow the knee. And we'll see a picture of it in chapter 6. But we got five in between. We got one more chapter of getting beat up. You guys handle it Okay. One more chapter, beat up, and then we'll see God do it all in chapter 6. All right, why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity we have to come study, to open up your word, to allow your word to penetrate my heart. God, I pray that we just hear that the message is not that complicated. You know, we, we make it more complicated. Oh, well, how, did they, how did they sin? How did they mess this up? I don't want to mess that up. It's, it's all really simple. God's king. And if he's the king of my life, then I do what he says. If I don't do what he says, he's not king. That's, that's simple. God, I pray that you are our king. Jesus is my king. So that I can have my time in the garden of Gethsemane. I can sit there in the place of the pressing, in the olive press, being pressured by life, And I can lay on a rock and I can sweat drops of blood, but I can say just like you did. I'm here to do your will, not mine. So whatever your will is, let it be. I bow the knee to the king of kings. Because I've seen what it looks like when King Jackie rules and it's a mess. So I want King Jesus to rule. I want to do what you say because you said it. I don't have to have a reason. God said it. That settles it. Because he's the king. The reality is this is not that complicated. We complicate it because we are trying to figure out a way how we can have both. How do I have God king and me king? God, I, I repent of that attitude. You're the king. And I bow the knee. And I pray God. All of us in this place would have that attitude. I bow the knee to my king. You're the king. And the king will give us what we need for the battle. He'll give us what we need for the struggle. He'll equip us. For wherever he's sending us. And I will trust in you. To do your perfect work. To to. Establish your glory on the earth, to be glorified in whatever circumstances come. I trust you and I promise to be faithful to you no matter what. I promise to be always true, always faithful. Because you're the king. God I pray you do a perfect work. In our hearts and minds. So that we can become. The men and women you want us to be. We are broken. But you make us whole. We were unclean. But you make us clean. So make us holy. Make us like you. We lift this time to you. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you.